Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. After months of talks, the Gibraltar Social Democrats and Together Gibraltar will not put themselves forward as an alliance at the next election. The decision was ultimately taken by the GSD executive last night. We had comments from the party leader, Keith Asobardi, and we were joined in the studio by the new leader of Together Gibraltar, Nick Calamaro. Have you started thinking about what your next vehicle might be? Well, the Federation of Small Businesses has teamed up with Plug and Go and also Prime Auto to celebrate World Electric Vehicle Day. Patrick Francis and Keith Hounsell had the details. And it was a busy afternoon in the studio. There's an exhibition launching tonight featuring 20 international artists at the Fine Arts Gallery, the Rock and Paper exhibition organised by Ace Art, together with Kaneo, an international collective of artists, many of whom came together during the pandemic over social media. Joining me in the studio were Gibraltar's own Carl Alger, Lucas Raven, who travelled from Germany, Sara Gomez from Huelva in Spain, and Diocles, who's living in London but is originally from Argentina. But we start the podcast with the story of more than 150 objectors submitting letters to the Development and Planning Commission in respect of a proposal for the site of the old Queen Cinema and Hotel. Why are they objecting? Roz Astengo has the answer. Yeah, it would be really interesting to know what people out there think about this, um, um, Jonathan, once uh, we go over it again. Um, I haven't got my glasses on me, so I hope I can see all my notes that I've written uh, in front of me. Now, I think it's very important to bear in mind, and you know this, Jonathan, because you've covered loads of DPC stories, but perhaps the public aren't quite so aware. Uh, Anyone can have an idea and get an architect to draw up a concept and present it to the DPC. It's an open process. It's a democratic process. You You can do that. That doesn't necessarily mean that your idea is supported by either the government or the DPC itself. That you know, that's what happens once it goes to the DPC. So this is an idea, it's a concept. The developers have put together these plans and drawings and they've submitted it to the DPC. And as is their right, uh, individuals have um, objected to this. You mentioned 150. I think the number, according to the objectors group, is pushing 200 uh, oh, wow. at the moment. And the deadline is tomorrow. So we all know the area that we're talking about it's the area where the Queen Cinema was and um, now a car park now in a car park and you've got the Queen's Hotel there it is all a little bit of an eyesore it's an under underdeveloped area and uh, so the idea that these developers have is to create this sort of integrated hub uh, that would sort of uh, create this link between Grand Parade and Queensway, the Queensway Green Belt, as they call it, and town, uh, and, and with this. So it'll all be linked in. And it's sort of, I use the word mishmash, not in a derogatory sense, but just that there's so much there's involved. There's a lot of different things. Lots there. of different concepts in this. So we've got uh, restaurants, cafes, bars, a dance hall. We've got uh, residential apartments. We've got a rooftop pool, senior living, hospitality, and office zone, we've got a pharmacy, a preschool, bakery, a beauty salon and, and retail units. So it's quite 
quite a big hub. Um, so, yes, yeah, so um, we have this objectors group. Now, they consist mostly of the residents in the area. In particular, I would say uh, Gardener's View and Gardener's Road. And um, one of their main concerns is the size and mass of the development. And Jamie Hammond is a barrister who's actually been working closely with the objectors group. And I spoke to him earlier on today. This building will be some 18 to 19 storeys tall. Um, it, the design is a little bit misleading in that it keeps on referring to 12 residential floors, uh, but that doesn't account for the three levels of parking, three levels of podium, a mezzanine floor and a rooftop garden. If you put all that together, you reach 18 or 19 storeys. Um, that's, Eric's already touched on that this is uh, 18, 19 metres above sea level. Um, if you build a building of that size here, uh, it will detract from the presence of the rock. Um, it will be completely out of character. Um, and the, the objection which our group has is uh, that the building should be mid-rise and sympathetically um, designed to the area. Yeah, so they're not saying don't build it. They're just saying, you know, cut down the height. And he brings up a really interesting point uh, because he talks about the area being 19 metres above sea level. This is information that this group has has put together. Um, now, in Devil's Tower Road, there are height restrictions, but obviously Devil's Tower Road is at sea level. This is higher. And so it has, according to this group, it's more impactful uh, on the on the landscape around it. And um, they've actually got an architect to present some elevated drawings of what it would look like. Something that Jamie Hammond said has really been missing from the plans that have been submitted so far. So if you have a look at the Trafalgar House, and, and I will put, put all of this in my report tonight, and it'll be on our website, uh, Trafalgar House, which is adjacent to the development, is 21 metres high and seven storeys. What this group of objectors are saying is that the, the two main buildings, Elizabeth Buildings 1 and 2, will be 57 metres high and 19 storeys, because you've got 57 to 57 take- metres versus... Versus 21. Wow, okay. It's hugely uh, different. And also what they're saying is, yes, it's 12 residential floors, but that's on three residential levels of, um, no, not residential, commercial units. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the car park as well. So what they estimate is it will be similar to 19 storeys. So almost, not quite, but almost three times in height as... Um, Trafalgar House and that is what they're saying and that is mostly what they object to they think it will be you know it will just does, just doesn't fit in with the topography it's going to impact the views on the from the properties behind it now of course I've had my views affected we all have haven't we that's part of development in Gibraltar but you know the point is is that people pay a premium for a property don't they because it includes a view and then you find your, your view is gone um, but what they're just asking for is to cut it down they also think car park Parking uh, isn't going to be enough. There's not going to be enough car parking spaces. The traffic in the area is already congested during rush hour traffic. They think this is going to be made much more. And they're calling, uh, there's no cycle lane. They're calling for a, some sort of traffic study uh, to be carried out. And and they also have doubts about the commercial viability of the project itself. There's one empty commercial unit at the moment in Trafalgar House. So, you know, there's, the, you know, they have concerns as to really how viable are these units. Um, so that that's the main thrust of of the objectors and it'll be very interesting to see what your listeners Jonathan think about it because in many respects 
you know, the area's a little bit dead there. You know, there's not much going on. It's a bit of an eyesore. So, you know, this will revitalise the area. But at the same time, uh, what they're saying is it's got to be in keeping with the area. I think Alameda Estate is seven floors as well. So, uh, as well as Trafalgar House. So that, that, you know, they just want it to sort of be more in fitting with, with the area. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. After months of talks, the GSD and Together Gibraltar will not put themselves forward as an alliance at the next election. The decision was ultimately taken by the GSD executive last night. Keith Asopardi, the leader of that party, says that the GSD will redouble its efforts to persuade people to make the change by backing the only alternative um, the only alternative team that's ready for government, according uh, to uh, Keith Asopardi, who had this to say. It needed to culminate in a decision one way or the other for both parties, given the proximity of an election. That was a mutually held feeling. There are many people within TG that we have synergies with, and I have, during the span of the discussions with them, developed a great sense of respect for those individuals. It was important for all options to be considered, as we did at the executive last night. Equally, now that the democratic decision has been taken, it's clear to both parties what the way forward is for the next election. And the GSD will now redouble its continuing efforts to persuade people to make the change and back the GSD as the only alternative for government. But not the only alternative that will be presenting itself at the next election, it seems. Uh, Together, Gibraltar has said it will fight for representation in Parliament. The party is now led by Nick Calamaro, who joins me in the studio. Um, How do you feel about... Good afternoon, uh, Mr Calamaro. And how do you feel about, um, ultimately, uh, you said you were open to the idea. I think the the Together, Gibraltar uh, said, you know, we agree this formula with the GSD. But ultimately, the executive thought... um, best to go it alone. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. So, as you mentioned there, we put our cards on the table, as it were, and we, um, as Keith mentioned there, knew that an election was coming up soon, and we said, look, we don't want to play any games. We don't want to have a long, drawn-out negotiation. We are hearing loud and clear from um, Gibraltarians that they want a change. Um, We have some candidates who ran in the last election who we we thought would have been a great asset on us on the slate. Um, But it seems that, unfortunately, the GSD wanted to look backwards, looking forwards towards the future. Um, And now we need to move forward and make sure that there is a real choice that represents something different. Okay, um, you said that you were looking forward to working with some respectable voices, that you thought you could get into government with the GSD. Now that you're going your separate ways, you think that the GSD will continue fumbling in disarray. How do you reconcile the, the, the compliments with the, with the criticisms? I do, I do. And at the end of the day, this is one of those where we needed to see, as much as anything, where the GSD was at. Um, I've mentioned before, I really enjoyed the time I've chatted with Keith, getting on with him, but it is clear now that he does not have control over his own party. He wants to move it in this progressive direction and he wants to take the next election seriously and win it, but it seems that many people within his own party don't feel the same way. And so what we want to say is, look, this party clearly is just trying to look towards the past. Let's present a slate that offers something different, a real effective opposition because as Together Gibraltar, we have to understand where we are. We're not where we are. We were with Marlene as a government-in-waiting, but we are a party with a tremendous amount to offer, with candidates who can really, really bring experience, expertise, and something fresh to 
up um, to Parliament in general. Um, I mean, just look at Marlene Hassan and the tremendous amount of people she's helped, the tremendous amount she's good done for Gibraltar as a lone TG MP. So this is us saying, look, if there were a few more of us, we'll be able to really raise the tone of the debate. We'll be able to really hold government to account and not just kind of issue back and forth press releases and... So, so you accept criticize. that Together Gibraltar is not a realistic option for government uh, at this election? Your sights are, get, uh, are set on getting uh, a, a number of MPs into Parliament, if you can, as opposition yeah. MPs? Exactly, exactly. And I think, um, obviously, there is a great desire for change in government, but there's also a great desire in general for a change in politics in Gibraltar because people are getting really sick of the same old back-and-forth criticism between lawyers attacking each other with legalistic language and ignoring the kind of day-to-day issues that affect everyday Gibraltarians. Um, and these are the issues that I think Malen made her name on in terms of helping people with their housing situation, with their healthcare situation. And we think there's a desperate need for voices like that in Parliament. Won't you just um, split the vote uh, between yourselves and the GSD and couldn't you potentially take important votes away from the GSD which might make the difference between them being a, a close second or, or a first? Yeah, so so as I said on the last time I was on here, I don't think the GSD or anyone is entitled to people's votes just because of who they're not. Um, I think that, and we have a very interesting electoral system in Gibraltar. We don't vote for parties, we vote for individuals. If the GSD fail to get in, it's not because um, someone split the vote, it's because the individuals they put forward and the ideas they put forward didn't capture people. I also think there's a real arrogance to people who are making these statements about splitting the vote because they're not respecting the need for choice. Now, if we weren't to run, we would have most likely... Um, 17 seats contested by 20 individuals. That means that basically 85% of those people are guaranteed a seat in Parliament. That's not really a realistic democracy, um, especially with the kind of people who the GSD are putting forward. It also doesn't respect the history of Gibraltar politics. I mean, look at the GSD. We have um, Danny, who had the Gibraltar Labour Party, then became um, leader of the GSD. We had Keith... Um, with the PDP before he became leader of the GSD. We have Damon, most likely next leader of the GSD, who was in the Liberals at one time. So they've all been third parties at one point, and that's a choice that needs to be offered to the electorate. Who do you think will present with you at the next election as Together Gibraltar? So we're still finalising our team. We're um, deciding whether we have enough um, demand to have a primary as we did last time because we want to give our membership a democratic vote um, and we also want to have some continuity there so we're hoping that some of the um, candidates who run under our slate last time will also be there. Um, I do want to address quickly as well, the um, obviously there was a lot of news about the two former executives of ours who left to join the GSD but I think lost in that story is the tremendous amount of um, former executives and former candidates who have stayed together Gibraltar, who are still there, who are still supporting us, and who were actually um, reached out to by the GSD and the amount of loyalty shown by them deciding to stick with together Gibraltar. So it's not a story of, I think the GSD have obviously tried to spin it as taking our best when really they've taken our retirees who, at least to me, were telling me they were done with politics, they weren't interested, um, and it's the more active voices who have stayed loyal with Together Gibraltar. But we don't know who of them might make a team to contest the next not election. Yet, not yet. And you'll tell us as soon as 
at your There's university now, Jonathan. <laughs> on Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. The GFSB is teaming up with Plug and Go and Prime Auto to hold an experience morning to promote electric vehicles. And uh, joining me in the studio now is Keith Hounsell, who's the chief executive of um, Plug and Go. Good afternoon to you, Keith. And good afternoon also to Patrick Francis, who's the director of Plug and Go. Um, so World Electric Vehicle Day, um, uh, I mean, where are we with the, with the growth and, and acceptance of electric vehicles uh, and the maturity of the market? Uh, good afternoon, Jonathan. Thank you for inviting us over this afternoon. Um, yes, actually, especially in Gibraltar now, we're seeing the, the uh, sort of adoption actually growing relatively quickly now. You know, when you can consider we started way back in 2017 with one charging point, you know, now we have sort of 36 and growing now. Uh, 36 charging points in Gibraltar? Yeah, exactly. And then when you look at the vehicle registrations and the amount of uptake of usage of those charging points, uh, we are now starting to see that the... Uh, you know, that we're starting to build that journey now. And so now it's really time to actually let more people see what can be done with electric vehicles, not just for driving to and from work, but actually for the workplace and actually going over the border, but also to help sort of take away some of those myths about charging points, range of vehicles, and actually to try one. So, so a growing number of charging points, which I think is one of the primary concerns for anybody thinking about um, a, you know, a fully electric vehicle that they'd have to plug in, is that uh, this is um, fairly new technology, uh, and where's the closest one to me? And uh, and and there are sort of a, a, a number of concerns which the average purchaser would have to satisfy before um, committing to an electric vehicle. Uh, are you f- sort of saying now that there are enough? charging points in Gibraltar that people would be able to purchase their vehicle and charge it as as easily or, or easily enough as compared to uh, a, a, um, a fuel car? Well, um, within, within Gibraltar, uh, obviously, um, there's been a learning curve as to availability of charging points and how you can charge them and, and uh, where you can. Um, over long distances, it is uh, a, a worry for people because you have to find charging points that are available. Within somewhere like Gibraltar, it is the perfect vehicle. Um, it charges overnight. Um, you don't need to charge your, your vehicle every every night. Um, as you can see by the post office system and other systems, you work very well. Um, you really only need to charge your vehicle once or twice a week at, at the most. And it um, alleviates the pollution. It's a lot cheaper to run. And for somewhere like Gibraltar, perfect. And that's where we have been coming in. We have public-facing charging points all over Gibraltar so people can charge vehicles at work as well as at home. In some areas of Gibraltar, it is quite difficult to put charges at home because of the location and the infrastructure. I I know it's chicken and egg, but but, um, is the growth of charging points enough to, to sort of give people the confidence to commit to electric vehicles? Um, yes, so we've also, with uh, two of our locations, uh, Midtown and uh, Devil's Tower Road Park and Ride, we actually have more uh, infrastructure backplates uh, enabled at both of those locations. So we've actually got space now to very quickly, and I mean within within an hour, we can actually add more sockets to those uh, backplates now. So we have spare on floor six and floor seven, we have spare capacity. Uh, so as we 
because we see each charge happening in real time, we see how much of a queue we have if we have a queue and when the demand is. So we can monitor that uh, day by day, week by week. And then as soon as we see the next level of charging points need to be installed, we will then attend site and actually increase that. So then we try to keep ahead of that curve. And um, what about the power station overall? Is it a concern, the amount of load that we're going to be adding, um, load which would have been, uh, you know, energy which would have been delivered by diesel and petrol, which now we're, we're, we're sort of moving towards electrified vehicles uh, and, and that charge is going to come from the power station. Um, have you got confidence in, in the ability of the power station? Have you had conversations with the electricity authority? Indeed, and we're actually working quite closely with them uh, currently. Uh, we're actually, uh, with the charging points, we can load balance them and load management. So that means we can uh, sort of make certain we do not overload each circuit within each location. But also we're working on frequency control, which means then also we can then react with the power station on their frequency demands. So when they get spikes during the day uh, or during the evening, uh, that means it will actually reduce the power that goes to the charge points naturally. And that happens within a few milliseconds. Brilliant. That's quick. <laughs> um, right, so so tomorrow, uh, sorry, I've said tomorrow again, <laughs> on Thursday, World EV Day, uh, you're teaming up with the Federation of Small Businesses to offer an experience morning. Uh, for anybody whose interest has been piqued, what will it entail and, and what, what do they need to do? So firstly, they can register, it's open to all, and they can register with uh, GFSB online, uh, there's applications there to do. Uh, we, hope, we hope to have a bit more press out tomorrow just to say, please come. Uh, and then basically the day will be, it's going to be quite quick, it's going to be more of a, a Q&A session, it's going to sort of take away some of the myths, and also how we are actually working uh, traditionally and globally to actually make certain that people can... Uh, buy a car and actually at ease now charge their car as and when needed and also how we can then especially for in Gibraltar where we have sort of like environment issues to look after and as you quite rightly said earlier where we may have power constraints in some areas how we can actually work with both of those to alleviate those and um, and then also it won't just be about us and about charging points we have uh, Moses uh, there from Prime Auto who's going to then talk about vehicles which will include electric scooters uh, last month delivery vehicles and fleet vehicles as well as cars and um, then once we've done that then we go over to the midtown car park and um, Patrick has arranged for uh, a couple of vehicles to be there so anyone that wants to have a, a ride around the block so to speak in the vehicle can do and we'll also show people how easy it is to actually plug in start a charge stop a charge and unplug. Excellent. Well, that sounds exciting and I'm sure will be interesting for lots of people who, coincidentally like me, are thinking about my next vehicle. Um, but thank you so much, uh, Keith, Hounsell and uh, Patrick, um, uh, for joining us today and best of luck for your event on Thursday. Uh, so uh, pointing us to the GFSB uh, socials, no, no, social media, uh, for more information and their website Definitely. as to uh, how to sign up. And you even get a free cupcake when you come as well. <laughs> how can you object to that? Exactly. <laughs> Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're talking art now, uh, an exhibition featuring 20 international artists being launched at the Fine Arts Gallery later. It's called Rock and 
paper. I kind of feel like there's something missing there. Um, but uh, but you can tell me about the, the title now. Uh, it's a collaboration um, uh, organised by Ace Art with Kanyo, an international collective of artists, many of them uh, connecting via social media during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, good afternoon to... Carl Alja to Lucas Raven to Diocles from Argentina, I believe you've, you've travelled, and uh, to Sara Gomez, uh, who's come from a little bit nearer uh, in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> Good afternoon Good to afternoon. everyone. Good afternoon. So, um, uh, Carl, um, you're a familiar face to us. Uh, tell us a little bit about Kenyo and, and about how it came about and, and how you started building a relationship with these international artists. Well, um, basically, I mean, we... we, we the, the, the actual movement or collection or collective community, because you, you, we call it so many different things, um, began to grow, really, during the lockdown period, like you mentioned yourself. Um, and I think a lot of us sort of made um, online relationships um, with regards to our work and references. We, I mean, I've done three different paintings of Sarah, actually. <laughs> and, I uh, thought she looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's also a very, very good artist herself, you know. Um, and I think this is something that, that we all sort of shared and love moments um, in, in what was a quite a hard time, no? Um, but we capitalised it uh, on that. And um, it, it was important is that it wasn't just artists, it was like uh, creatives as well. You know, there was musicians involved, authors, uh, um, dancers, etc. Um, and this is something that I think helps to sort of to, to deal with, with what you said, you know, before the pandemic. Um, with regards to our styles, I mean, everyone is so different. I mean, we've got, you know, Luca, they'll talk about themselves now a bit, but Luca and Sarah, who are very much more um, drafts people, you know, like, you know, their, their, their charcoal and ink and pencil work is absolutely fantastic, which we'll see in the, in the exhibition. And, and, I mean, John Paul... Bautista from from Ace Art, he's absolutely done a fantastic job to put everything together. Um, and you know, he asked me back when we came back from the the Belgium exhibition, which was a complete success last May. Um, he asked me, you know, do you think it would be feasible to get many of these guys in 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 Gibraltar? And I said, you know, I don't see why not. Um, and it's fantastic to see this array of work now here in Gibraltar um, with us, I mean we're, we're more painters I think it would stretch yeah. to say um, and and it's something that, that that's the beauty about Kenyo is that you know not only does it welcome and value uh, different styles but um, it's concepts and ideas as well um, you mentioned about the name um, I'm going to bring in are you going to bring it no, in I, I was going to say like, do you want me to bring him in I don't know <laughs> you, you have come with some other people let's give, give them a chance <laughs> Luca, Luca. Okay. tell us a little bit about Kenyo and, and what, what unites you guys yeah well um, from Kenyo I got to meet them through Instagram I uh, reached out to some artists who I, because I wanted to get to know them after lockdown then I um, talked through, uh, to them, got into the public um, uh, server where we share reference for drawing. So I started drawing there, talking, making friends. And then finally I got um, invited into the, um, the closer group and I, I started to grow as an artist. I, um, I uh, connect with so many artists, they give you feedback. Uh, it makes you learn way quicker. I'd been uh, three years in university and uh, barely um, gotten to advance uh, through my artistic journey. Then entering into Kenyo, I uh, really um, had this push and this um, kind of vocation to follow art and do art, get into exhibitions. And um, I really, uh, that's what made me enjoy art for real again. So, I suppose that's very important, isn't it, yes. to enjoy it when you're trying to create something and Before trying to express I, yeah. yourself. 
before I was trying a little bit into comic to see if I could um, get my way in there, but it really ne never um, got, to, uh, never stuck to me. So um, then with them, I uh, went back to traditional and uh, realistic art, uh, art and made portraits, which is uh, where my main focus is now. And I also do, um, draw kind of everything, uh, like uh, if it's a still life, um, but I enjoy mostly portraits. And, and is that something which is common across uh, Kenyo artists? I mean, I know that Carl has done a lot of portraits. Yes, uh, it, it, portraits are really um, a centerpiece since we it's our way to connecting between artists. We paint each other um, to get to know each other as well. So that's a, an import, a very important piece of um, us. That's I, cool. F further on uh, my journey, well, I um, started to get more into my own personal uh, image reference. So I take uh, references, even if they are from the public, uh, from other artists, I then modify them uh, through um, Procreate, Photoshop, and then use those modified pictures to make my own thing and not just to uh, take what's in the image personalize it kind sure, of sure sure okay and uh, and how's your time on Gibral in gibraltar been so far well quite ple uh, pleasant we've been to sandy bay this morning uh, walked over mm. there and Lovely. walked back so we're just uh, we're just a, sh a shower up in europe retreat center and came back uh, down and yesterday we um, had a nice meal on main street and uh, met uh, carl and jp there had a walk through um, casemate square very enjoyable and the weather has been great Excellent. Well, let's bring in Sarah, who travelled from uh, a little bit closer, I think. Yeah. Wh where's home for you, Sarah? Huelva. Huelva. Yeah. Beautiful. So, like, four-hour drive or something? Or? Mm, yeah. More or less, no? Yeah. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about your art. Mm, yeah. So, I joined Kenjo, like, two years ago, I think. And it's been a really welcoming and inspiring community. It's really helpful for us artists. We are always looking for reference. And in my work, I like to... Like Lucas said, like um, modify the references and do like a collage of them. And so, kind of, you know, it's very helpful for that. And, and how how is the community helpful? I mean, uh, mm. they they provide feedback on the work. Yeah. Like, is it constructive? Do they say, "Oh, yeah. this is what I like best," and and then you know what's what yeah. what people are enjoying? There are a lot of people who ask for feedback also, and it's inspiring. Inspiring not only the references. But also seeing each other work is really inspiring. Diocles uh, um, from Argentina, I believe. Um, uh, yes, I I was born in Argentina, but I moved from a bit closer than that. Okay. I I live in London, and I moved and I did a road trip from the north of Spain all the way to here. So cool. Yeah. How was uh, that? It was was tiring. Was absolutely <laughs> lovely. I've seen like places like I wasn't expected to get much out of them. It's like I was pleasantly surprised by them, and that's pretty much it. But normally I do live in Mallorca. I'm like native, like I've been most of my life live over there. So yeah, Mallorca is a beautiful place as well. I mean, how much does the world around you inspire your art? And, and I know that Carl has spoken about beautiful light being important and. Um, you know, when when you travel, do do you sort of get inspiration? Uh, yes, I do. And going back to the to the community aspect of whatever this is, it's it's always it's always nice to talk with people that have their own filters to the same thing. Like when we share like references or things like that, 
it's amazing to see like, okay, I, this is beautiful. I want to give my own, my, my own interpretation of it. And you do it yourself. And at the same time, you see another amazing work of somebody else that did a completely different thing from the same thing that you did. And that's something that uh, like uh, makes you reflect on your own way to approach the piece itself and the way that everybody, everybody else does it. So in that way, you can yourself think like, wow, maybe I could try something like that. Or wow, I didn't saw that. I didn't saw that thing that the person like put emphasis on. <laughs> and uh, always with a reference to sort of classics and, and, and greats or, or, or not I necessarily? I mean, I believe that, uh, yes, yes, it's always... Uh, I believe that we all have the same, uh, the same like a uh, realistic background, but I, uh, because I believe that having like a nice... We have like a like a similar base, everybody. But from that base, we can all grow in our own separate separate ways. And the way that and the fact that uh, somebody else growing some way you, it also can help you to think yourself like uh, uh, think yourself where you want to go and what you want to like what you want to focus on that thing. Because if you don't see something be, being done for the first time, it's not gonna it's gonna be a bit harder for that thing to grow up out of you. And I think one of the amazing things um, from my understanding of, of Kenyo is uh, the extent to which social media has allowed you guys to, um, you know, uh, find like-minded people in other countries, see their work, enjoy their work, and then get to know the artist behind the work and then get to grow together. No, no that, that's, absu that's absolutely a huge advantage of Kenyo. It's like the fact that, uh, like, uh, right now I'm surrounded by people that I actually, like, I actually uh, admire their work and how they approach everything and the fact that I can actually talk with them and the fact that if you are in an artistic um, pursuit and you have people, like-minded people, it's always something quite helpful that can push you to go even a bit further. Really, just to add to that, um, is like, you know, we've, we've had originally the, the group when it was started, well, not started, when, when it sort of began to grow, um, w was just under 60, 65 people, the original OGs, you know, which wasn't us, the original OGs, which was, you know, like Dan Ferguson, Alex Willby, Milo, you know, these guys that, that, that found an idea and they made it so such an original and unique uh, concept uh, into reality. Um, but, you know, when I sort of got into, you know, this, this community, we were like between 60 and 50 people. And, I mean, if you go into one of our forums, um, like like Luca mentioned before, there's like the close-knit forums and, and, you know, there's like 50 or 80 or whatever. But the, the the main one where everyone is at, where they sort of grab references and stuff, is over 2,800. So the amount that that has grown just shows like and echoes what, what they've said as well, that it's... Even when there's an artist that's got artist block, you know, and and that feedback and that emphasis that that other fellow your fellow you, creators, you push each other's on exactly. You know, um, and that I include myself here. I've had moments that. I haven't had the inspiration to do something and, uh, you know, even though I do like my landscape, I do love figure work. And and sometimes you just have this block that you have our inputs with each other, our conversations. You can unblock. Right? Uh, yeah, or even visually, the yeah. aesthetics of seeing someone else's work, like I said. Can you tell us in one sentence, Carl, why people should go to the Fine Arts Gallery? Uh, you're opening tonight. Why should they go and visit this Kenya exhibition? The word is originality.
you know, like having like and being inspired and inspirational and, and originality. Um, and you've got an array of artists. Women were lucky to have, um, if I'm not mistaken, six um, artists. And um, there's 21 in total, but six that have actually come here. And you can meet them, you can talk to them um, today, tonight. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar, Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.